morning. You may be seated. I am Vincent Hoppy. If I have not met you, please come say hi to me so I may get to know you. Uh, it is a pleasure to have you here at Grace and Peace Church. We've been meeting since March 3rd as a church, and so it is, uh, it's been awesome to see what God is doing and how he's working in people's lives. It has just been uh, neat. It has exceeded everything that I thought would happen, which is kind of strange. I have big expectations. I'm an optimist. Everything is going to be wonderful. That's the, that's the crazy thing for me. Uh, if you haven't already, if you wanted to get to know uh, Grace and Peace a little more, uh, the best way to do that is by being in a city group. We have two that are started already. We're about to start a third. If you want more information about that, go ahead and just fill out an attendance card. Get it to us so that we can contact you about a city group. City groups are about seeking the renewal of the city. And the way that we do that is, is by meeting together, by being renewed, in our hearts by the Word of God, that we meet together to learn and to discover what God is doing in our lives. The next thing that we do is that we engage in the city, that once a month, city groups get together to help out in the areas of the, where there's need, the social services, to help with the poor, to serve and pray for the city in those capacities. And so city groups is a way that you will get to be known and that you get to know the rest of the city as well. And so we want you to experience that. But now back to the Word of God. So what we've been doing is we've been covering something called wisdom literature. We've been covering Proverbs, you know. And at times Proverbs is a little weird. It seems like a to-do list. It sounds like it is Nike Christianity, you know, just do it. you got to check these off. That is not wisdom literature is trying to do. Wisdom literature is to form and shape the hearts of God's people that they may reflect him in all they do into every nook and cranny of the world. Remember, we said that wisdom is skill in the art of godly living. Therefore, today we're talking about money and wealth. And Proverbs gives us pictures of how to use godly wealth. It is something to aspire to. It is not a checklist. Make it a checklist and you might as well just uh, uh, set yourself up for ruin, like giving your kids Legos so that you, you, know, you could step on them in the middle of the night. That's, that's what you're doing here. They're not going to become engineers. They're just going to torture you in the middle of the night. <laughs> And so the main message of the Proverbs regarding money, and we heard it in some of our texts, is this. Be wise with money because money is a good tool, but it is a very poor master. It is a good tool, but a poor master. Uh, when I was a young person right around at this time, would have been 11 years old or so, I would stay up late and listen or watch on MTV when they had music videos, a show called Yo! MTV Raps. Okay, my dad had gone to sleep, and at this time, my little brother was messing around on our, probably it was a Commodore or like an old Tandy sensation, like 64-bit computer. It was awesome. He is now an electrical engineer, and I'm preaching. Uh, <laughs> and one of the songs that caught my attention was by the Wu-Tang Clan. I do not tell, encourage you to look it up, but... 
you know, this 11-year-old, awkward, insecure. I remember hearing Method Man sing the hook for the Wu-Tang Clan, and it went like this, cash rules everything around me, cream, get the money, dollar, dollar bills, y'all. And then Raekwon and Inspector Deck would come through and they would rap about how the only way to get out of the projects was by drug loot, doing just immoral things in order to get out of the projects. And that was their only vision. And so money was their tool to get out. But the crazy thing was, is that money was the thing that kind of formed and shaped their imagination. And what they didn't know, money was mastering them to cause them to do things that were immoral and wrong. And I could look back and say, oh, you know, they're using money to buy safety, security, and status. That's them out there. But then I reflected back on my life a little bit this week and remembered my upbringing. My mother grew up in abject poverty in the Philippines. She has a fifth grade education. That's what she had. And so I remember as a little kid, as my mom taught me how to grip a pencil at four years old, and I can almost feel the pencil dig into the callus of my finger still right now on my middle finger, and she told me and repeated the story that if you do not get an education, son, you will be poor. And if you are poor, life will be hard. And so from, a littlest, from the littlest age, I understood or I believe that I had the pressure to become educated in order that I may get money. And if I had money, then I'd please my mom. And then she would not be a failure, that she could justify her existence because I was educated, secure, and safe. And so I needed money to justify not only her existence, but my existence I needed money so that I could succeed and that I would matter in this world. And so money is a master, but it's a poor master, we will see. So money became my remedy or means to my redemption. And so I must do anything to get it, I thought. And so without, so, so without knowing it, I was being mastered by money. And I suspect many of us, without knowing it, we're mastered by money somehow. And we just don't think about it. You know, uh, a millennial right now with uh, lots of school debt, like, I know what being mastered by money looks like. And so, but a wise, God-fearing person knows that money is a good tool and a poor master. Two points this week. A good tool and a poor master. Last week I gave you four, so we cut the difference. It's you know, the average out to three, you know, back to being a Presbyterian, not a Puritan. So there we go. Hey, so here we are. So first, money is a good tool. It is a good tool. In 10.15, so Proverbs 10.15, the author contrasts wealth and poverty. A rich man's wealth, he says, it is his strong city. It is his security, comfort. It is his status. Whereas poverty is his exposure or insecurity. And so we see that it is good. Money is good. So here's the logic on this, okay? We believe God created all things, right? And so whatever man does with God's creation, we call that culture. And culture, then, is used, hopefully, 
It is supposed to be used for what God intends for us to use it for. And in this case, it was to fill the earth with the glory of the knowledge of the with, with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. We're to make Him known. It is to uh, be formed and shaped. It is things are to be done His way. And so that would include money, including the money in my pockets. So God creates all things, and He creates humans to be stewards of His good things. So money is good, and someone's saying like, but what about that saying, you know, money is the root of all kinds of evil? That's the thing. It's all about, like, the love of money is this idea is like, depends on if you love money uh, and you prioritize that over other things so that it, it, you start to direct money and use money the way it ought not to be used. So it is misdirected. But money itself is not a bad thing. And in fact, the writer of Proverbs seems to be saying that it is a good thing. And we need to remember, though, in this culture, in, this col- in the culture that, that the Proverbs is written, it's not measured, so money or wealth is not measured just in coinage. It is probably everything that involves their estate. So we're talking cattle, land, children, slaves, Everything that was, was, was for them. And so it would also be their crops. Wealth, uh, the, the image of wealth would be a well-fed family. That your stables are well, are, are well taken care of. That your flocks are well taken care of. And you have well-trained farmhands. You have good tools and the such. It's not the extraordinary wealth we think of when someone is driving a Lamborghini or anything like that. So the image of wealth is that you are taken care of. And so here's the thing. Money... If it is to be good and to be used in a wise way, it was to be used for righteousness. It was to reflect the goodness and purposes of God. Uh, and this is what it says in, in Proverbs 21.6. It says, The getting of treasures by a lying tongue is a fleeting vapor and a snare of death. And so getting treasure through wicked ways is wrong. It's wrong. And so it's moral, the way we treat money is moral. And we're to direct money, direct our goods, direct our, everything that God has given us, our cars, our clothes, our books, everything, everything for good and righteous purposes. And when we think about righteousness, it's not just doing the moral checklist but it's about executing justice in the world. It's about allowing things to be equal and right into the world. So everything that God's people has is to be leveraged for the good of the world. For the good of the world. Not so that we can just have our moral checklist done. So we are to direct that which is good, God's creation, and we are to use our wealth in our free time, uh, if you notice nowadays, we're not hauling water like 10 hours a day. So we have a lot more free time as before. And I know people are saying, I'm so busy. Uh, you're not as busy as you could be. Trust me. 
We have a lot more free time. Uh, and so we got to leverage our social media influence even for the goodness of God. And so for righteousness, not for scolding other people on Facebook or Twitter, okay? So our actual money, our vehicles, our positions, our jobs are to be uh, used for the goodness of God. And because, as we read in uh, uh, chapter 11, verse 4, riches do not profit in the day of wrath or the day of judgment. Riches don't do you anything there. You can't pay off God. You can't pay off God. But righteousness delivers from death. So it's righteousness that counts on the day of judgment, not cash. And We'll talk about where we get that righteousness because if we were to look in the mirror and just think about how we use our money, we don't use it very well for just things, do we? You have to be honest. So money is good, but money is also a tool. And a tool is only as good as it's used in its proper context. Uh, sometimes I use a screwdriver to open up my boxes from Amazon it is not the best thing, and I have jabbed myself in the hand multiple times with this screwdriver. And then I have also done another stupid thing, and I usually carry a pocket knife in my pocket, and I have used my pocket knife for a screwdriver. How do you think that's going to go? Not very well, right? And so tools, if money is to be used right, it needs to be used in the right context, and so, like I said, money, it's about how we direct or we use it. It must be used in the right context. Is it the right tool for the job? And here's the deal. If we use money to get us what only God can give us, then we're misusing God's good tool. If we use money to get us what only God can give us, then we're misusing God's tool. And so we have to ask ourselves, how in the world do we use this tool rightly? And so, the things that we need to know is that God uh, provides through your diligent work. Working is good. Working hard is even better. And so, if money, money comes through diligent work. So, you, it, Proverbs 28, 19 says, Work diligently to earn your wages. Whoever works... Uh, his land will have plenty of bread. It's like a no-duh. You know that? If you go to work, guess what's going to show up into your bank account? Cash money. You know? And this is the way God has ordered the world. If you water your plants, guess what's going to happen to your plants? They're going to grow. Okay? So God has wisely ordered the world so that it works this way. You work, you get paid. Hopefully. <laughs> so you have to work diligently, you know, but it says this, but he who follows worthless pursuits will have plenty of poverty. And so it says diligent work, uh, not schemes. Diligent work pays off. Schemes rarely do. You have plenty of poverty if you're only relying on schemes. Notice that Pro Proverbs advocates not just uh, also um, it, not just kind of like how you get your money, but also how you spend or give your money. So it's about how you use it, and so it's all of your money. And if we're going to use it wisely, we need to know where we're giving our money, 
And in order to give our money correctly or to prioritize it, the thing that we need to do is know and acknowledge where it comes from. It comes from hard work, but then it comes from God's grace or his providence. Uh, Chapter 10, verse 22 says, The blessing of the Lord makes rich. The blessing of the Lord. And then he says this, and he adds no sorrow to it. Another translation could be, he adds no toil to it. It means that the man who wants to get wealth, it is not through his uh, white knuckling in the sweat of his brow. It comes by God's grace and his blessing and his upholding of the world so that it is the way that it is. That's where money comes from. Blessing comes from. In Psalm 127, verse 2, he says, It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for the Lord gives his beloved sleep. You ever stay up late nights worrying about where you're going to get money from? How's it going to come in? And the Lord says he's the one who blesses it. He's the one who causes it. He's the one who causes it to rain. In an agrarian uh, uh, culture like the one that is being spoken of here, they could not control a lot of things. They could not control the weather. They could not control if a a swarm of locusts were going to come and eat all their crops. So they relied on the Lord. And so they knew exactly where it came from. And that causes contentment with what you got. Because it comes from the Lord. Here's the other thing. And nowadays, we can't control the stock market, can we? We can't control others, other countries like China. We can't control how much oil OPEC is going to be pointing, pulling out. We can't control all those things. We must know who's in control. And so, what does it look like, then, on a practical level to uh, manage money well or to use it as a tool? One, you've got to prioritize You need to know where money comes from and whose money it is. It comes from the Lord. Two, you got to budget. You know, uh, you got to manage your money. It is a moral matter. Proverbs 10, 16 literally says, The wage of the righteous leads to life. The income of the wicked leads to sin. The wage of the righteous leads to life. It means good life, to flourishing. Uh, the income of the wicked, it leads to sin. Proverbs 21.20 says, Precious treasure or oil in a wise man's dwelling. Precious treasure, are in, pr- precious treasure and oil are in a wise man's dwelling, but a foolish person devours it. He uses it up all quickly. If you're budgeting it, you're putting it in little categories and you're saving it. You're being wise with it. And notice that he says treasure and oil, which is part of wealth, that they are saved. They're portioned. Uh, Proverbs 27, 23 says this, Know well the condition of your flock. So it means pay attention to your money. Give attention to your herds. For riches do not last forever. And a crown, and does a crown endure to all generations? No. When the grass is gone and the new growth appears, the, the vegetation of the mountains is gathered, the lambs will provide your clothing and the goats the price of the field. There will be enough goat's milk for your food and the food of your household. Meaning, you got to budget and plan ahead. Budget and plan ahead. So we got to prioritize it. 
We've got a budget. In part of that budgeting, we give generously. Proverbs 19.17 says, Whoever is generous to the poor lends to... The poor? No, lends to the Lord. Gives to God. And he will repay him for his deed. The Lord will repay you. And this then would also include giving generously to the church. Proverbs 9, 9 through 10 says, Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. So here's the thing. When you give generously, you give it to show that money isn't your master. You give it out of worship, acknowledging that this God is the one who has it together and that you don't have to control it. It is an act of worship. You give it up for the things that God loves, for his mission. And you give it and you give it freely. And so you got to also plan to give. And so... Also, a man is to, or a wise person is to save. A rich man's wealth, it says, is his strong city. And this one is a good one. You ready for this, guys? Proverbs tells us the wise person with his money, he spends it. He enjoys it with a grateful heart. When we prioritize the kingdom and wisely manage what is rightfully God's, then we get to enjoy it without guilt. We get to enjoy it without guilt. Seek first the kingdom and all the other things will be added to you, it says. And so I've got some diagnostic questions to find out how we're doing with money. One, we need to ask ourselves, what causes me to feel the most happy or content or secure? What causes me to feel the most happy, content, or secure? Then you need to ask yourself, does it line up with what the scriptures say will make me truly happy? Do those two line up? What causes me the most elation, causes me to get excited? Ask yourself, where do I spend the most of my money? And five, where do I spend most of my time daydreaming? What is it about? And those are ways to analyze what's going on in here. So money, it's a good tool. It's a good tool for the sake of God's kingdom. And we're not just talking about your cash money, but we're talking about all your wealth, your entire life, so that God would be known in the world. But money is also a poor master. Uh, Kind of all the anxiety and stress in relationships and arguments usually, uh, something, something like one in three relationships end because of money money and their arguments there. It is a major contributing factor to divorce and also suicide. Money is meant to be a tool in the hands of God's people, but instead we often find ourselves in the hands of money, don't we? Uh, Let's think about the generational use of money too, all right? So baby boomers. Uh, You know, baby boomers generally use money to get security or comfort. That's what they wanted out of money. Gen Xers, Okay, you guys are still people. You're recognized every once in a while. Uh, <laughs> Gen Xers use money to get status or image. You remember Andre Agassi and the Canon commercials? Image is everything. Yeah, that was their value. 
millennials used money to get experiences, even though uh, most of our money is tied up in student loans. Uh, Gen Z or the iGen use money to get influence now. Social media influencers, the big thing. And so that's what people are using money for. And here's the thing, is that what money is for? These things you can only be given to you if uh, it is, it is give, bestowed upon you by God himself. Notice it says that the, the blessings of the Lord makes rich. And so we could also add that he is the blessings of the Lord is the one who uh, gets security or comfort. The blessings of the Lord is the one who gives you status or image. The blessings of the Lord is the one who gets you awesome experiences on the top of the mountains or, or hanging out in Paris for a weekend and eating croissants. Or he's the one who actually puts you in the position to actually get the influence. If you misuse money this way, the danger is, is that you will find that not that money is in your hands, but that you are in the hands of money. Okay? And so when we use money for things it is not designed to ultimately give us, then we will find that we're really in the hands of money. Uh, someone who had a lot of money in his, one, in his hands was John D. Rockefeller. And they asked him, this oil tycoon, this, this great robber baron, how much money is enough? And he said, just a little bit more. So his life, he had lots of money. He just needed more. And it caused him to take risks. And some of those risks would lead him to be poor. And so, how can money master? And money can master us either if we have the presence of money or if we are at, money is absent from us. We can be mastered by money whether we have lots or if we have little. And so with much, you're going to find yourself this, this way. If you have lots of money, if you're fairly wealthy, you're always going to find yourself counting. You're going to count your money. You're going to count every penny. You're going to look at your accounts on a daily basis to make sure that your investments are not wasted. Not only that, you're always going to be conscious of what your money is going to and how it is being used. So you're going to give your money, and then suddenly you're going to make sure that that person is using your money correctly. You're always going to be concerned about it, thinking about it, daydreaming about it. When you close your eyes, you're going to be worried about it. Your heart's going to race because you want to know what your money is doing if you have lots of money. The person who's mastered by money who has very little is always trying to justify anything that they ever have that is new. All right? And then you're always trying to buy the budget knockoffs, something that's just good enough. And you're always making sure that, like, if someone sees me driving this vehicle, what will they think? Let me put it this way. Do you want to know how deeply it runs? This is how weird it goes. All right, we bought a van recently, okay? And luckily, I have good friends that that kind of steered me back into reality. And and I I was kind of scared to tell people, I bought a van, right? And, And the thing is, is the next thing, I would justify my purchase, I'm like, I bought a van. My son was sitting crisscross applesauce in the back seat. Um, and it wasn't that much money. It's 14, you know, it's 14 years old. 
And so I keep going on and on and, and about, about this. You want to know why? Because I'm being mastered by money. I care about what other people think about me. I think about how much money can buy me, uh, you know, like this being well thought of by others. And I'm doing well with money. I'm real frugal and, and budget savvy and different things like that. And so a friend said to me, he's like, Vince, I don't think anyone is concerned about how much you spent on this vehicle. You know that? It's 14 years old. No one's going to think that you are somehow being overpaid. Do you understand that? And I sat there, and he's a 67-year-old man, and he's, he's here right now. And, I'm, and, I, and I sat there and went, yeah, I'm thinking too much about money. And so God got me right there. And so that's what we think about. So often, it's not, it's not thinking too much about money or thinking too little about money. It's about thinking about money less right? It's a poor master. What else has happened is that money has captured our hearts so that we begin to love it too much. We are elated whenever we get it and we're devastated when we lose it. And so what we need is not more money. It's not less money. What we need is a better master, What we need is a better master. For for what do we want out of money? What do we want? Let's be honest. Some of us want comfort. Some of us want security. Some of us want to retire. Some of us want status. Some of us want influence. Someone wants the anxiety that they feel in their chest every day when they look at their checking account to go away. Here's the reality. The Bible's telling you, and the Proverbs is telling us, and the images of wise people is telling us that money can never buy you all those things you want ultimately. That it is only found in the person of Jesus. Because in the end, what matters, it says, riches do not profit in the day of wrath, but righteousness is the one that delivers from death. Righteousness is the one that delivers from death. So we need a new master. What we most ultimately need is not money, but a strong savior. We need to be counted as righteous because on the day of judgment, money isn't going to help you stand up. All your wealth isn't going to help you stand up. See, when the tool becomes the master, we become the tool. And so here's the problem. The order, the way God made it, it was that God was to be the master. Humanity, you and me, were to be his vice regents or stewards managing his stuff. And then money was to be the tool to glorify God. Instead, money masters us and we become the tool to glorify ourselves. See how that works? We become the tool and not money. And money manages, money masters. So when the tool becomes the master, we become the tool. Our loves are disordered. And so what we need is to reprioritize our hearts and reorient our hearts. You see, what we need most of all is not to get out of the hand, not just to get out of the hands of money, but in, and not just to put money back into our hands. We are to acknowledge that we are ultimately in the hands of the true master, Jesus Christ. 
You see, a paintbrush in my hands will get you some really silly stick figures, but a paintbrush in the hands of Vincent Van Gogh will get you the starry night. A basketball in my hands will get you some broke granny shot free throws, but a basketball in the hands of Michael Jordan will get you six NBA titles and five league MVPs. A golf club in my hands will get you a broken window and the lost sleeve of golf balls, but a golf club in the hands of Tiger Woods will get you 15 major tournament wins and 81 PGA tournament championships and lots and lots of wealth. Some wood and nails in my hands will get you an abstract artist's take on a kid's playhouse. Some wood and nails in the hands of Jesus will mean redemption and being purchased by the true master, Jesus Christ, and will mean salvation for all his people. You in the hands of money will mean broken relationships, but you in the hands of Jesus will mean the reprioritizing of your money and the healing of your relationships. One story sets this out for me. Ona Judge was a uh, child of a slave woman and an indentured servant at Mount Vernon. She was taken in and loved by this family. She had all the parties, all the excess, but she was a slave. She hung out with aristocrats, with politicians, with musicians, she lived the high life. And she could be free. Oh, she, she, she just wanted to be free. And so what she did was she, uh, by help of the New Hampshire governor, took off and left her masters, George and, Washa Mar- Wa- George and Martha Washington, left them and escaped into New Hampshire. So she went from the life of opulence having access and money, but she was a slave, into dying a poor pauper, but she was free. In the end, they asked Ona Judge, who they called Oni, Oni Judge, if you had to do it over again, and you could go back to live with Martha and George Washington and live luxuriously, would you do it? Oni said, No, I could never do that because when I was free, when I was free, I learned how to read and I learned how to read my Bible where there I knew that I had a master that was richer and she had a master that could set her truly free, free from money, free from opulence, And it was hers. And so the scriptures and the wise person would tell you this. Seek first God's kingdom and all the other things will be added to you. For the scriptures say this. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. That though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor. So that that you by his poverty might become rich. In Jesus Christ, all the wealth of heavens and earth is handed over to the hands of evil men and mastered by evil men so that you may be free from the master of money and you may truly enjoy life being mastered by someone 
who died for you and loves you. Money will never die for you. Let us pray. Our gracious Lord and God, help us to trust you, to know your goodness, to know your richness in Jesus Christ. Help us to reprioritize our lives so that we would see that true wealth is found in being being in the hands of the Master. Lord, empty our hands from the desire to have wealth so that we may receive you. For you give us yourself in bread and wine here so that we may take and eat the goodness in freedom, in the richness of God, in the life of Jesus Christ. So Lord, nourish our faith now as we come to your table for your sake, for the glory of this world, so that it may be, for the, for the glory of God in this world, so that it may be renewed to reflect your goodness. Pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.